Peter, and today we're going to South Africa. Our guest Nomza tells Dodie and me about why she went back after a time in the US. She was in the post-apartheid generation of black professionals entering the workforce. We talk about how she made space for herself and others, what they achieved, and what still hasn't changed. We get a thoughtful and fun conversation about South Africa, the legacy of Mandela, how the 2010 World Cup brought out the best in people. Welcome to episode three, Cairo Calling. It's a good one. Yeah, so Nomsa, you are in Joburg now, yeah? Yeah, I'm in Johannesburg. Okay. Um, yeah. How long you been in Joburg? I mean, like, since... I've been... I've been in Joburg for most of the time, but I spent, uh, I would say, in the past, maybe it's been now, what, four years, five years, I've been back in Joburg full time. Before then, I was in Durban, which is another city um, here in South Africa. Um, and yeah, before then, I was in Joburg. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've been friends for about 20 years now, right? I mean... Yeah, actually, more than... More. Yeah, it's amazing. Sure. 2000, right? Yeah, 2000, 2001, somewhere there. New York City. New York York City. Namzit Doji said you were flatmates in New York City? We were. Wow, (laughs) how was that? We used, to, we, used to call, we used to call our house the UN house, you know, because... <laughs> because you never got anything done or because you're from different countries or what? Because you had people from different countries. <laughs> and there was a bit more, there was quite a lot of madness. I don't know, you know, UN yeah. doesn't get stuff done because they have too much fun. <laughs> But no, Nomza, I've never, I've never shared with Dodi, but I've kind of heard a flatmate of his was like, well, it's, it's very nice flatmate. And then he invites 30 people around your house for a dinner and you kind of follow the consequences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was always people. In, and that's partly why it was the UN, because there was always people in our house, um, you know, either coming for dinner, for drinks, some people visiting and then staying for, like... <laughs> they never left. And they never left. <laughs> After a while, we'd be looking at each other like, uh, when is so-and-so actually leaving? <laughs> but what was the vibe? You guys were all kind of, like, kind of hustling and making careers. Was it like everyone was, everyone was broke and trying to make it in New York City? Or, like, what was the vibe? We were not that broke. We were yeah. young. Yeah. We didn't young, have a... not broke. Yeah, not that broke. Young, <laughs> not, not that broke. Yeah. Not that no, broke. No, we're not that young. Yeah. You know, but also, we didn't have much, you know, responsibilities. Right. So I think what we earned was okay for us. You okay. know, yeah. just live whatever the life that we were. So, um, yeah, we were working. Um, you were working for Isaac at the time. Yeah. Then yeah. later on, you, you founded your own business. I was an intern. Um, a couple of us were interns, actually. Um, so, yeah, and a couple others were working for, you know, Isaac. Are so, you, you're also in tech, are you, Nomza? No, I'm not in tech, yeah. <laughs> right now, I, I'm in FMCG. 
Um, what's what's that, sir? CPG. So I've been in, like, I work for PepsiCo. I've worked for Unilever. So, yeah. And what's FMC, what, PC, what? FMC. <laughs> Consumer goods. Consumer goods. All right, like selling stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, selling yeah. stuff. I'm stuff having some coke. I hope that isn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Are you also based in Egypt? I I met I met Dodi in there in Egypt. I was there for a few a few ah. years, and um, I mean Dodi was getting people together. And it was thanks to Dodi that I met a lot of other people. And then I came back to the UK where I grew up. Um, ah, okay. Like COVID, uh, COVID sort of stimulate the pandemic stimulated me to kind of like escape back home oh, okay. um, oh, but yeah. cool. you stayed in the states for a while yeah i was there for just under two years then i lived then i came back to south africa right. um and then you know then i've been based pretty much here in south africa um you know doing work traveling on work and doing work in a lot of different countries, but mm. um, home base and work base has has always been here in South Africa now. Or like you went back for kind of family, or you just wanted to be be at home, or kind of what what yeah, made you do that? I did go back to 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 to, to home family, and also as actually and that, that was the reason. That was the reason, or like that was yeah. So. It also was the time. I actually read someone wrote something similar to how I was feeling then. And I thought, oh, we all have this, you know. Um, there was a time the country at the time was going through, you know, change. Mm. Um, and, you know, especially for a young black professional, you know, we all had this thing of we want to go back home to make a difference and, you know, to be part of the solution and rebuild. Yeah. Um Someone else was writing this on Twitter today and I had a bit of a chuckle. She's like, yeah, you know, after she studied in Harvard, she came home because she wanted to be. But right now with no electricity, she feels like she can make a difference from afar. (laughs) 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 How do you reflect on it now for you? Look, you know, I still think that either path, you know, staying on would have been undoubtedly, you know, an amazing experience. I think also coming back home was, you know, that experience. I think, you know, it was like we were probably the first wave of, you know, Black uh, professionals really entering into corporate, you know, South Africa, Um, you know, and... Yeah, and that in itself was, and there was a lot of things that we had to, you know, um, overcome. You know, um, yes, you look, we look back today, um, and there's still challenges, um, but I think, you know, also there's a lot of progress, you know. Mm. That, so, yeah. So tell, us, tell, us, tell us more about that, that you're going back exciting to contribute and then... I guess this is a few years after the fall of apartheid mm. and you're kind of getting into these spaces that black professionals hadn't been in before that mm. the, like, did you hit some sort of barriers pretty quickly or was it kind of, was it a lot of like fast progress? There were barriers and, you know, um, 
it, it, there were barriers. And I think a lot of it was also, there were two, I think two sides to it, the way I look at it. The one side was we're entering into an environment that wasn't understanding or even ready, you know, mm-hmm. um, and people who are just not necessarily, the law was saying you have to now start hiring black people. And literally people were doing it for that reason. So you would get there and even your own competence will kind of be not, you know, people wouldn't believe that you're even competent to be doing what you're doing. And as a result, you work 12 times as hard, you know, Mm. um, you basically bust your gut to prove that, no, actually, I'm actually very competent, you know, to be where I'm at. Even progression. I remember the beginning of my career. It was very, it was very difficult to progress. It wasn't as easy, um, you know, because the competence was always, you know, questioned. And and I look back and I'm like, I worked hard and I was very good at what I was doing, mm-hmm. um, you know. But it wasn't always, you know, a natural thing. Um, but then also at the same time, there were some risks that we started taking, you know. Um, I remember we did a paper actually uh, in a research paper on experiences uh, of black professionals in South Africa and it won an award, you know, the media got caught up oh, in wow. yeah. and it became quite a big thing. And suddenly... Were you doing a paper oh, dissing on your employer? Okay, no. academically, <laughs> academically, yeah. You know, but we did research, we spoke to people and stuff. And suddenly this was I was I was watching like the Shakira diss track today. (laughs) Like she (laughs) Shakira did this diss track on her ex-boyfriend. I was wondering like if the paper is similar. Like (laughs) no, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it touched on them because afterwards our HR director was like, so when I asked your paper, can you compare, how would you say our businesses, you know, are we better or are we what you described in the paper and everything? And said, look, you know. <laughs> how did you understand that? You know, we said, you're not exempt. Um, you know, there are things in certain areas that you have gaps. So if, I mean, it was a research paper where we, you know, surveyed, you know, people across well, the no, country. Wait a minute. Like if I was starting my career, I wouldn't be able to say that to an HR director. Like might <laughs> be able to say it like a long way in, but like that's, <laughs> no, like, were, that you, was, were you nervous? That was, were you, that were was you... two years in. Oh, you know, wow. You know, oh, wow. You know when you, you know, and when you went scared, you went, yeah. When you're an underdog, what, 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 what do you have to lose? You know, and um, we were kind of that generation. Um, but also, I do think that the political climate gave us more confidence. You know, mm. it was like, you know, change is going to come whether you like it or not. And we are here to stay whether you like it or not. So this you know, was so what, 2002, 2003? It was 2003. Five. Five. So it's about yeah. one decade after the end of the apartheid, right? Yes. Yeah. The first, yeah. the first ten decades. One yeah. decade, sorry. Yeah. First decade. Yeah. Yeah. So this was really where we were starting to see a wave, you know, in different, you know, industries um, of of like black, black professionals in, 
And there were lots of, you know, articles and analysis and opinion pieces, you know, people oh, saying, wow. yeah, yeah, you know, you train these people and they leave, you know. Um, these people, these people is a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're yeah. not loyal and all sorts of things. And so our paper aimed to bust those myths. And we thought, okay, let's go a scientific route and use our skills and let's do research. And um, to really prove if this is factually the case, um, you know, that black professionals are not loyal and they job hop and whatnot. And actually, our research found that Africans, (laughs) (laughs) speaking people, were the least loyal (laughs) and the biggest job hoppers. Um, But that wasn't the point of, that wasn't the center or the crux of it. The crux of it was, you know, really unpacking the experiences, um, you know, that black professionals had, you know, in corporate and, you know, really bringing to light, you know, some of the stories that, you know, through our research, we had picked up and heard and stuff. And and is it, Nomse, because these days we have lots of references on social media of like kind of microaggressions, which and not micro that the day-to-day things not that they're small the small effect in kind of the way people way people are talking the assumptions they make is it kind of stuff stuff like that or yeah no it was I mean still happens but Mm. you know obviously now there's a lot more people and a lot more critical mass you know you still have industries that haven't transformed um, you know, industries that I'm in are a lot more transformed than they were, you know, before. Um, and there's a lot of microaggressions. I was the other day I was telling my sister, I said, there was this lady, every time I would greet, you know, in the morning, we're making coffee. Morning, so-and-so, she would pause, making her coffee, turn around, look, and then look back and continue making her coffee. Oh, she, wow. knew it happened. She, knows, she knows she knows you're not loyal. I thought, I thought, am I crazy? Did I maybe she responded? I didn't, yeah, you know, you start second guessing yourself. Second or third time, I realized, okay, that's the deal. And I stopped trying until the paper. And then the next thing, hey, no, so I'm like, oh, she knows my name. this is this is a really interesting dynamic like sometimes you need the external validation for your own colleagues to value you right and that's exactly what happens like you know um in my own company i think it was really only after that external validation that everyone's like oh yeah you know, and opportunities started coming along and things and, you know, promotions and whatnot, you know. Um, but, you know, over time, but it also just meant that, you know, personally, I took on, you know, kind of a mission to say, I will, because we've got generations and there were fewer numbers, but that came before us. And their attitude was more, oh, my gosh, we're happy we've got a space. And we will not disturb the peace. We will do what we do and we would move on. And we were the generation that said, no, we need to disturb the peace. Um, mm. you know, we cannot just keep quiet and let things be. Um, you know, a lot has changed. I, I, I don't want to lie, but even today, you still have, you know, those issues. So it's a continuous 
like even in the global, you know, sense mm. that, you know, you still you still battle with, you know, racism and things. So um still happening in South Africa, um, because the bulk of you know leadership um in a lot of com- uh, companies is actually still pretty much white. Um, if you look at, you know, executives and things. So it's still there, um, but not as bad as it was, I think, when we started off. How is it um, kind of that that's in the workplace? Was it also socially? This has been such a fascinating journey Mm. you went through, Nomza. Thanks for sharing with us. Was it also socially as well? Because you're kind of like young professionals and you want to go out to nice places and then maybe the nice places aren't used to having uh, black people with money turn up and other other social attitudes or did you really feel that transition like it was more in the workplace? Also socially um, but I think and it's weird because different cities just now I I lived in Durban and I realized you know how relative to Joburg, how untransformed Durban is, you know, um, because now I was in a different city and it's a smaller city and, you know, you still go to places, especially your fancy places, and you'd be the only, you know, black people there. You're like, oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. In in Durban, you still find that and where you're like, what's going on here? And I can, and, and most of the time we used to place a bet that the other people who are black people there are probably from Johannesburg. We can almost bet, you know. Um, <laughs> so you still have that a bit. But I would say in Johannesburg, Johannesburgers have this, I would say, activism kind of spirit, you know, uh, the generation that says if a place is exclusively white, we're gonna make sure it's not. <laughs> you know, and, okay, and amazing, no amazing. we we we're just gonna go in there and we're gonna take up space and you know there's not gonna be a space that is going to be exclusive to a certain group of people or whatever. Every space is gonna be open to everyone. Mm. Um so it's a lot less Cape Town, I've never lived there, but traveling there and looking at the stories and the demographics in Cape Town tends to be socially a lot more, um, a lot, you, there's te- there tends to be a lot more racism, you know, in Cape Town. Um, like I always say to people, I don't book Airbnb. <laughs> I would never in South Africa um, for, for that reason. You know, um, I remember we were booking a holiday and we booked this lovely beach house, you know, a couple of years back. And we like booked maybe two months in advance and it was like a group of friends and stuff that we were going to go to. And then like maybe two weeks before going or something like along those lines, we get a call from the owner and he is apologizing and saying, look, you know, um, unfortunately he's double booked the place. He didn't realize that he had double booked until now. And, you know, and he needs to move, he needs to move us, uh, to another property of theirs, which is, um, you know, the place we're going to is a self catering, but the other place is actually a hotel, you know, so it's even better for you guys, but I need to move you. And he said, no, the reason we booked the house is because we want to relax and chill and cook and have fun, you know, with friends. 
if yeah. we wanted a hotel, we would have booked a hotel. But why only two weeks, you know? Um, so there are funny kind of microaggressions that happen like that where it's quite macro. That's quite macro. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. It happens, and, and it happens like that where you start second guessing. You like why? Why are we being? Um, you know, you know the type of place and everything else, and you know that you are being bumped off and not the other people because yeah. of the color of your skin. Like, no, let's push them back. And into he, the, he, oh, would, he would know, like, he's kind of profiling you by your name or like. Yeah. And right, it's easy right. because it's easy here in South Africa. It's easy to profile, right. you know, or just um, just off name, right? Like you don't need to name. don't it's, need to meet your guests to discriminate them, like yeah. Surname, <laughs> name, and surname yeah. is the base. Now I've got a friend who's got an English name and a surname, yeah. and so he's like the use my name type of person. <laughs> and people get shocked when he shows up. Like, are you Mr. Mm-hmm. Peterson? Like, yes. <laughs> Peterson, <laughs> of course, Peterson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So you still yeah. have it. It's not as widespread because you know it's 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 a lot more subtle, um, but it still happens. Yeah, that reminds me of one of the most sort of um pretty powerful example of racism. I think it was in New York City as well, but probably in other places that they've done like a a black person goes to um somewhere that's renting a flat and say is it available no it's just been taken yeah and then yeah. and then you send like a white person exactly the same profile just the race is different and they're like oh yeah come and come and look at it it hasn't been taken yet and uh-huh. that's a kind of really interesting one because like if you're in the receiving end of that kind of thing like you 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 can't know and it might have happened a lot it without might- you Without you knowing, like you've got a bit wise to the game. So yeah. when there's a bit like Airbnb stunt, you kind of yeah you understand it that it's a bit a lot related. In, yeah. in real estate, yeah. Real right. estate is one area where it happened. Um, I remember, but this was a couple of years back. Um, the person even gave us back our deposits. We went, we saw the place, he showed us it was like in a complex, um, so a number of kind of standalone houses. And the one that was up for rent was like really beautiful, well-located and things. We paid the deposit. Um, and then when it was time to move in, he had moved us to like a very dodgy kind of unit um, oh, wow. and placed yeah. other people there. And we we're like, this is not the, the unit that we signed up for. He's like, no. oh, well, you can take your deposit back. You know, by the way, this is not a township, you know, township. Wow. Oh, that, that comment at the end of things is, yeah, really unnecessary from him, isn't it? Yeah, no, he said, I moved you because, um, you know, the other people, are, you know, family, they're quieter. You know, um, you guys are loud, you know, um, and, you know, this is not the township, you know. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he was like, no, that's fine. I'll pay you but your money. But it's kind of, it's this racist comment accusing someone of bad behavior when he, like, he's he's the one yeah. that's doing stunts, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's the and one that's, he's the, like, racist uh, like shift, shifting things about. And, yeah, yeah. Wow. So you see it a lot in real estate. Because but do you get angry or quite, you seem to be quite sort of, 
like straightforward in your description? Like, does it hurt? Do you get angry? Or do you laugh about it? Like all of no, the above. It's, it's, it hurts, you know, because I always say that, you know what? And I, I, I'm not saying that it's acceptable anywhere else, but it's harder in your own country where there is nowhere else, you know, yeah. to, mm. there's nowhere else where you can call home, you know? So it's a lot harder to, 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 to really swallow. Um, and it hurts a lot. It's, it's actually, it angers, you know, um, people, I find I get very angry, you know, about it. I get, you know, the listeners of our time. Have I you ever cussed, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever cussed someone out? Have you like just really let rip or? No, you I do you do academic off. papers? No, I would tell people off, you know, in yeah. situations where I do need to, um, you know, um, you know, if if and I would point out that you know what you're doing is this and it's not acceptable. And you know, I often say to people, honestly, I don't know where in the world you can live, you know, if you want to be racist, but the worst place you can live is in Africa. <laughs> like it's it's Stupid. Yeah. Is that your line? Is that your line? That's an amazing you know, line. Oh, like, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. like, like, I'll be, be, be racist somewhere else. Love it. There's <laughs> a really interesting day, flip of know? the, like, go back to your, go back to your own country kind of argument. It's like, <laughs> go find another country to be racist in, right? Like, even another they, continent, no, another continent to be they, racist. I think, yeah. where, where can you actually, where is it acceptable? It's not acceptable yeah. anyway. Mm. You know, but um. Do you find the attitude changing in the newer generation or do you think it's being adopted as well in the younger generation? I mean, like, this kind of, you know, racism of that attitude, yeah. In some instances, I think it is changing, um, you know, and people are changing, but in others, they're not. One thing that I find is a pity. One thing I used to enjoy about New York is that people, there was a lot more cohesion. You know, you all take the same train. You know, doesn't matter, you're rich, you're poor, whatever, you are in the same subway. You know, yeah. you are walking around in the city. So there's a lot more spaces where you are interacting with other people and other cultures. I'm not saying it changes your attitude or whatever, but certainly people live in a shared kind of existence. Now, we don't have that in South Africa. So people really do and can exist in bubbles, you know, particularly because, okay, here we go. <laughs> changing <laughs> <in> life. <laughs> um, particularly when, so because of apartheid, what's happened is there's a correlation between wealth and race or ethnicity, you know, so people who are Caucasian have a lot more money and therefore they can live in, you know, more bubbled environments, gated communities. Um, you know, the most expensive schools, you know, where people would be majority. And I think that robs the children and the younger generation of the opportunity to really interact a lot more with other kids. If you grew up in South Africa, but in your school, there's only five, you know, like black kids, um, yeah. you will never really get that opportunity and that experience of fully being you know, uh, integrated into society. 
you start working. There's no public transport, really, especially if you're wealthy, you have a car, you know, um, and you start interacting with people at that level um, and really hardly ever interact with people at a social level. We were fortunate because of Isaac, where we had friends across the different ethnicities and we still continue to have those friends, but that's really still in the minority. You know, you don't have that happening, you know, uh, naturally uh, in South Africa or else. In other countries, you tend to see a lot more cohesion, a lot, a lot more mixing. You know, I'm not saying they don't have their own issues. You know, I know other places have issues with classism and all of those things, but people generally tend to mix a lot more because they share spaces. In South Africa, people don't share spaces. Well, certainly in my opinion. So, um, so we were just, you know, we just finished the World Cup in Qatar and, and South Africa hosts, you know, the World Cup as well, which is like very vibrant, very famous of the Pufuzela and, and the fans, you know, it's one of the most vibrant World Cup, right? How much, you know, looking back, how much that global event impact the way South Africans see themselves and how it is perceived in the world? I mean, like, mm. did it make any impact at all, like in terms of cohesion and unity? Like, so football? one thing about South Africans and sports is that... I always think of this and I, and I wish, you know, we could do this on a day to day basis. South Africans know how to rise to the occasion. You know, um, tomorrow we forget everything and we really come together and we rally and we happy. That's hence the vibrancy because it's part of the energy and the spirit. So when it comes to things like that, people do rise to the occasion. So, even before the 2010 World Cup, you know, we had the Rugby World Cup. Rugby World Cup was literally a year after, um, you know, uh, the first vote in democracy. Black people didn't know what rugby was. They were in the stadiums, you know, people uh, were yeah. hugging each other. It was, it was that spirit, you know, but it doesn't transcend into the day-to-day Afterwards, people go back to their normal lives and they continue as things were. Now, what I think 2010 did is it did put South Africa on the map in a lot of ways. Um, but also what we're starting to see, and I don't know, it's a, but, you know, I guess the past decade, you've seen a lot of South Africans, you know, taking up, you know, spaces, especially in the creative spaces, in, you know, really showing up in global spaces, which is, you know, again, you know, points of, you know, national pride. And um, also it shifts in terms of people's possibilities because um, South Africans were very closed in, you know, and Mm -hmm. really not big on considering across ethnicities. South Africans, you know, were really not about, you know, South Africa was it and that's it and we've got our problems, but you know what, we still love it. Um, To, I think, a lot of young people now, you know, think of themselves in a, a lot more global, you know, way. They think of, you know, opportunities from a global perspective and not just from a South Africa perspective, which is really hugely positive. Oh, okay. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. Is that like kind of like the US and Europe or beyond those as well? 
beyond those as well, you know, um, the U.S., of course, because of the exposure, and I think the U.K., especially because of also the culture, are the two kind of places that people are most exposed to. Um, but now it's beyond. Like, I remember even in, in at work, in corporate, when you would be maybe speaking to, you know, younger professionals who want to have global careers, and you're talking about, okay, so where would you want to work? Um, they want to work in the U.S. or they want to work in Europe. Um, now people would say no one wanted to work in the rest of Africa. Like if you say, well, if there's an opportunity in Kenya, they're like, no, no, I, I wouldn't take that up. So no, <laughs> you know, type of attitude. Um, but now people are just a lot more open. It doesn't matter where, you know, people you know, there's an opportunity in Sri Lanka and people are like, yeah, sign me up. I want to go, you know. So I think people are a lot more open, definitely. And so it sounds, um, like just going back a bit, you went, you went from, from New York to South Africa with that, with that like youthful idealism and wanting to contribute mm-hmm. and whatnot. It's, it sounds like you really did. <laughs> It sounds like you you kind of helped, um, like well, no, you you made space in, in places that ready, whether they're ready for you or not. It sounds like they weren't ready, and that's sort of part of a generational change. Does it does it feel that way, or kind of like how do you reflect on that desire you had to kind of because yeah. you're kind of treating it as like like is that that person's comment resonated with you, and you did Yay. like you're kind of laughing a little <laughs> bit about your younger self. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the ideals when you're younger are a lot bigger. Um, but when you get older, the reflections are on those small, it's actually a combination of small things and, you know, impacting this person, that person. And you're like, okay, I've made a difference. So I'm making a difference as opposed to when you're younger, you're thinking about big things. You know, mm. <laughs> and shifting yeah. things in a in a bigger scale. So that's what I was laughing about. Um, but you know, I think I, I hadn't envisioned that uh, the biggest impact would be, you know, within corporate. You know, for me, corporate was like a short stint, and then I'd move into other spaces. Um, but <laughs> the biggest impact that I've had is definitely on the people side and within co- uh, corporate. And it's always when people then come back and say, oh, this is how you shaped, you know, my career. Um, seeing you and being you there gave me, you know, hope that I can actually make it. I can cut it, you know, in this in this and that industry. And then you're like, okay, you know, it's not, it's all worth it. Do you do, do sort of mentorship or kind of like when when the next generation comes in of black professionals, do you guide them about these dynamics or do you like because each generation comes to its own own mm. adjustment with it right like yeah. um okay. uh so do you do you guide them or explicitly or is it just like look i'm here doing my thing um that also makes space for other people no also explicitly because i think it's needed um there's a lot of you know um and and i also look back and i said at the time when we started, we didn't really have role models um, mm. because there was not enough people that you could look up to and say, okay. And to be fair, 
even people who were their senior, they were they hadn't experienced, you know, the pressures and what we were experiencing. You know, um, we talk about and we often laugh about how at times you'd be invited to breakfasts at seven o'clock in some out-of-way place. Um, and people don't know that for you to get to that breakfast, you have to leave home at four o'clock because yeah. you are taking public transport. It's going to take you forever from where you live. You know, people who are invited, they don't have that perspective. You know, they're just driving and that place is like, you know, 15 minutes from their houses and things. And now with us there, you know, it was for me, it became important to make your voice heard and talk about these things and say to people, let's not do that, you know, because um, younger professionals at that time, you're also not really bold enough to say, can we not have a breakfast at seven? (laughs) (laughs) Please. No, I cannot actually make, there's no bus, you know, at that time. So, or I cannot actually stay until, you know, midnight or whatever, because how am I going to get home? And therefore I have to go out of my way to, you know, make, um, you know, those arrangements. And then when you get into a position to make a difference, you say, okay, fine. Sometimes we do need to have dinners, but because I understand I will make sure and I'll speak about it so that other people and other leaders understand that, you know what, when you do something like that, make sure you accommodate, you know, other mm-hmm. members of the, or, or, you know, of the, of, of, of your teams, uh, make sure they've got a way, you know, to get home and all of those things. And also ask people, you know, they will tell you, um, but if you don't ask, um, they won't, but also there's cultures. Remember, we come from different cultures, um, that we also have to navigate um, where, you know, in in some instances in our culture, we, we come from cultures where complaining is not a good thing, okay. you know, to constantly. So what you do is you don't complain, you know, you don't raise issues because it's complaining. You just sit back and you don't say anything and you just struggle through all of those things. And for me, it was critical that, no, let's create spaces and talk up and, you know, also being, you know, involved, of course, in, you know, uh, structures and, you know, um, and initiatives, um, you know, that also allow people, you know, to kind of have that voice, you know, have that space, you know, be the voice. I still continue to do so you know, and and really being direct and speaking with Kanda and raising issues, you know, that sometimes, you, you no, not sometimes, most of the time you're not going to be popular for, you know, people mm-hmm. are not appreciated, um, but it drives change. Um, and, you know, but also you show that, no, I'm committed to us actually, um, mm-hmm. you know, making a difference. So, mm-hmm. yeah. As they say, I should confess I work on diversity issues i work on disability a lot of it has been on kind of promoting employment of disabled people and it's really it's it's really interesting you like talking about like how to make inclusion in an employment environment like um all these kind of big companies and the big the big multinationals they all have like diversity initiatives 
and diversity professionals. Strange, you haven't mentioned a diversity professional yet, right? Like, like the kind of human resources that's that's mm. responsible for like diversity and equality and whatnot. It, yeah. it it sounds like you kind of like you that you you went in and made it with with a lot of other people from your yeah. generation and you're just practicing it didn't like when you kind of hear the corporate practices about diversity and whatnot do you kind of like think oh those might help us in the right direction or are you just sort of saying oh, like that that's irrelevant right mm. I think at the beginning, when I started in my career, there were no, it was general HR, you know. Um, And there were people who were starting to make commitments. Um, But a lot of it was externally or legislatively driven. You know, government was saying you you have to implement uh, black economic empowerment. You have to, you know, have... uh, 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 equity and you have to meet certain targets, you have to have people of a certain gender, all of the regular normal stuff was there. And then inclusion started being, I would say, the past maybe 10 years, you know, inclusion and diversity started being kind of the language. And that's when you started having, you know, uh, either initiatives or people responsible for it. But I would say initially at the beginning, people were ticking boxes. You know, it was about the numbers. It was around less so, um, you know, it was mostly about representation because those are the things you can fill in your HR report and say, oh, we've got so many people who are female, who are, you know, African, who have disabilities. We've got, so you can complete your scorecard. Um, But inclusion, which, uh, is a lot more harder to achieve because it says, mm-hmm. well, you know, do you have the right culture? Um, you know, are you inclusive and in how you do things was less of a focus. And, you know, people would say, um, but they struggled a lot more. Some companies, like one company I worked for was really good, you know, in terms of just really looking at and starting to say, okay, let's really focus on inclusion and let's have honest conversations, um, you know, around it. But you'd still have, till today, you still have, like, in the space that I'm in, you know, um, we, some of people in my team are analysts and data scientists and things. And my experience each time with recruiting is always, oh, no, I can't find any person of color who's, because I've always, for me, I'm very strict in terms of, my team has got to be diverse. You know, it's going to be a mix. We're going to find that data scientist, you know, yeah, who yeah. Is a black female or whatever the case may be. You know, we're going to do that and we're going to build, you know, together because there are opportunities for everyone. And that's mm-hmm. what it's about. It's not saying that it is this person instead of that person. There are actually enough opportunities for everyone. So we just need to work harder. Um, and most of the time I will get even HR of any ethnicity will get quite frustrated now. Like we need to move, we need to, you know, hire whoever we have because, and I said, if that was the case, then we wouldn't actually progress anything. If we didn't go out of our ways, you know, to make sure that we attract the right people, but also we then retain them because, you know, we need to do that. 
And if the skill, if you can prove to me, I'm going to say to HR that there really is a scarcity, you know, like in a country with these demographic profile, um, then it means that as a corporate, we need to do something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we are one of the users of that skill. It means that we need to do something. Of course, you know, then HRs are. You know, they probably roll their <laughs> eyes. They don't do it in front of me, but I'm sure they yeah, do. Yeah. And they go back and I say, okay, now if I've got a nice mix of, you know, resumes and stuff, now I can start looking at it from, I can start taking that lens off because you've given me all the options. Um, and you've removed. But that can't find as a classic line, like on disability stuff as well. Like, I mean, in part from people that didn't look, but like, <laughs> um, and then it doesn't like, and then if they did find with what would they do with it is also then the next question, right? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, people have that. Yeah. Um, so you still have a, a lot of it is still, and I think, um, but it's we, we need we're getting to a point where, and we need to get to a point where it's just, um, you know, the way we do, how we think, you know, as people. And it's harder to get to but, that. Nomzi, you're such a brilliant speaker on this. Is this, is this your, is this your work? Or we've just kind of <laughs> caught you, caught you on uh, this subject? Like, do you do, do you do <laughs> TED Talks and whatnot? No, or? I don't. Yeah. I don't. Um, but it's, it's an area that, I mean, we started talking about it. Uh, but it's also an area that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I think I've enjoyed. But you should, you should do TED talks. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should yeah. <laughs> when I have well, time. Well, <laughs> <laughs> she's, well, she's talking to us to, with this famous podcast, right? Exactly. We estimated our listenership as one. Yeah, <laughs> it will grow. <laughs> it, it, it will it will triple after this. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but so, I think I think it's exciting. I mean, um, and I always say that in the world as it is, you know, not being learning from other people and interacting with other people. It's just, maybe it's because I got that opportunity, you know, and I'm like, it's such a missed opportunity. Like, why wouldn't you want to be with other people? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, okay, as an outsider, right? I mean, like, if you're going to tell people, like, who are South Africa, right? What would you tell them? I mean, like, just, you know, in terms of mm. as a country. I would say that, you know, South Africans are multicultural, you know, probably amongst the most diverse, you know, countries in the world in terms of the influences, in terms of the cultures, the people, the foods that we eat, you know. Um, often say one thing when I travel that doesn't fascinate me too much in other places is the food. And the reason for it is because there is everything and you get an authentic everything in South Africa. Um, it's a young, very vibrant country, um, but also, you know, um, we experience a lot of turbulence. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I think the um, South Africa has gone through a lot. You know, it's gone through a very tough, you know, history. 
that still haunts us because it's it, it was in our generation. You know, um, we haven't really, we don't yet have a generation that is a generation that's truly, yes, there are people who are born, you know, after apartheid, but yep. they're still born in the circumstances that are still shaped because their parents or their siblings, you know, would would have lived through apartheid. You know, so we're still a country that kind of wrestles with that. Um, you know, I don't think we're clear as yet who we are in terms of identity. I don't think we're clear in terms of what we want. Everyone wants a bright future, that's for sure. You know, uh, <laughs> across the board, that's the one thing that binds us and kind of brings us together. Um, but in terms of what that looks like, I, I don't think anyone, you know, is clear on what mm-hmm. that is. So we, we do have a bit of an identity, you know, as a country, not as, you know, groups and individuals, you know, kind of crisis in terms of, you know, who we are and what we, mm-hmm. you know, try to and it's, it's a country that's very vibrant, you know, um, the energy, you know, people, you know, I still go back to when you said uh, the 20, that was typifying what South Africans from a vibrancy perspective are, you know, um, lots of energy, lots of, you know, passion <laughs> um, in terms of the country. So that's, those are the things that I would, you know, think. Um, I think we've got, you know, a lot of potential, um, but it's not fully realized. Well, most of it is not really. Numza, we really I think we really anyone anyone listening to you can feel can feel a lot of energy. Um I'm really glad we didn't we didn't get into the kind of conversations this way, but uh, for a lot of people that don't know South Africa, maybe like the one thing that they do know about current situation is like in that turbulence, like people have the idea that there's a lot of crime and yeah. like assaults and whatnot. Um is that kind of what you meant by the turbulence or like, I don't yeah. know, maybe we exaggerate it on the outside or no. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly it in terms of, you know, look, the biggest things that face, you know, our country is firstly, our economy is not growing as much as it needs to in order to really progress people. We've got high youth unemployment, like very, very high. Even, even I mean, I've seen um, countries that have that are far less that, that are far more poorer um, than South Africa, but they don't have such high unemployment. Yes, you know, maybe underemployment, but some people are doing something, you know. And mm-hmm. um, where else here, you've got a lot of youth who've never worked a day in their lives, not because they don't want to work, um, because of opportunities. You know, inequality is really also one of the issues that we have in the country. And I think it's my hypothesis, certainly, from just observations, you know, that countries that have high levels of equality have high levels of violence. Mm. You know, it's there's something about if we're all in the same boat, you know, mm. we kind of can live together. It's what I was saying, that people don't live together. People live past each other. Um, you know, so if you are impoverished, you know, kind of that becomes your world versus someone who's, you know, wealthy and things like that, you know. So 
We do have high, we do have uh, a lot of crime, to be honest. And um, but more than that, also it's just violence. Um, what the world and what people don't often don't know is that apartheid wasn't an ideology; it was a very violent system. Mm. People were, you know, and and post that, people continued with that culture of violence. Um, so, which we experience. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, even if you're talking about, you know, for example, like other, other countries like the US, right? Even, you know, the impact of, you know, past policies and all that kind of stuff, it, it reverberates through, you know, through the years, you know, it's not something mm. that you can just switch off it in a day, you know, like a, a month, you know, it takes a lot of work mm-hmm. to, to write that sail, you know, to write that ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, it, because you, okay, you end, you go, you return back in South Africa during the period of, you know, optimistic change and everything, right? Mm. So, do you still feel the same that, the 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 energy and and the passion for continuing the chain do that still remain or has it weakened or is it does it get stronger mm. in terms of like how society sees it itself? Mm. I think how society sees itself is right now the society is depressed because we've also gone through you know our government uh, a lot of corruption in government uh, actually it's not this regime. Or, I mean, it's the NC, but it's not this president uh, mm-hmm. that caused that. It is the tr- it's same person, but the previous, I would say, decade, where a lot of things that were working in the country were basically like our power. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, you grow up and you have power all the time. And suddenly we've got rolling power cuts, load shedding. You know, it's impacting people's livelihoods. Um, it's it's depressing people. You know, crime is increasing. The economy is not growing fast enough to absorb, you know, people. All of those issues, I think I've definitely observed that, you know, people have moved from being very optimistic to being, I would say, in a state of depression. People are depressed, not as individuals, but as a country. You know, um, you're starting to see a lot of kind of, you know, there's a lot of uh, pessimism, you know, um, around the country, you know, in the direction the country is going in and if it could ever be better, you know. Um, I, you know, (laughs) I'm optimistic (coughs) that it can be fixed, (laughs) you know, Um, but there's not a lot of, how do you keep um, that optimism? Look, you know, when you take the emotion out of it, you know, and you look at facts, you can see that, you know, things can, you know, be fixed. It's a case of with the right, you know, leadership and right initiatives in place, you know, it won't be overnight, but you, we can gradually move from that space into the right space. You, you have know, to get so, you have to get out of like the the vibe-based analysis into the kind of taking a step back and seeing seeing progress and whatnot. Yeah. 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 We've got capacity also. I always say that, you know what, one of the things that we have, you know, that we didn't have before is 
we've got capacity, you know, um, in all forms. I mean, even human capacity, we've got some of the most brilliant minds, people who, when they leave South Africa, they go off and they do amazing things elsewhere. So we've got a lot of that. Um, you know, even during COVID, you know, kind of showed that we have, you know, scientists and people who can, you know, make things happen. So, but we just, from a political front, um, we really, that's where we stopped, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a hard one, you know, because, uh, yeah, I always find it, I, I think it's difficult to, for it will be difficult to change. The only hope we can have is in the current leadership to do the right things. Mm. So how much, you know, is the Mandela factor uh, impact in the current situation, in the, in the current situation, meaning mm. that after apartheid, right, you start with Mandela, I mean, you know, there's such a high bar for yeah. any leadership, right? Yeah. Even in, you know, and then how could anyone actually come close to that level of quality of leadership and everything? I mean, like, you know, it's just, I'm mm. just thinking out loud, right? I mean, because yeah. you have such a, you know, a, a revered figure in history, yeah. not just South African history, in the world history, right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. if you talk, talk globally, right, people can tell maybe like a few names and Mandela will always be there. Definitely. Right? You know, out of like 200 countries in the world, people will recognize, you know, okay, Mandela. That's true. true. I think we needed to pivot and we didn't as a country. To move from Mandela's mission was one only. Mandela was the bridge, you know, he needed to create the environment that, you know, instead of South Africa plunging into a state of war um, from various angles, actually, you know, civil war from various dynamics and things that were heating up at the time, um, but for it to transition as well as possible and for people to look at each other as human beings and start working together, whether they liked it or not or whatever, but, you know, that was his mission. I think post-Mandela, the government and leadership in South Africa should have pivoted, you know, from that into how do we build physically? You know, that how do we, countries that have succeeded in in, in transitioning, you know, and we've got examples, you know, some East European countries, yes, dynamics are different that move from the USSR and they've managed to build themselves. It's because there was clarity in terms of, okay, this is where we're going to take, you know, our countries and this is what we're going to do. And I just don't think that was there. You know, we just continued singing Kumbaya and then people were stealing (laughs) or looting. (laughs) We were singing Kumbaya, they were looting. And then all of a sudden things are starting to break and we're not, you know, sure. Of course, I'm not, I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit in the sense that there's certain positives that the country made. One of them was investing in human capital. You know, I went to university. A lot of my friends uh, were paid for by the government, you know, um, and that in itself created all the additional capacity, mm. uh, you know, that the country needed. You know, yes, there may be gaps, 
Um, but I always say that now you've got all these people mm-hmm. that you've invested in that you could actually put to work, you know, and who can work for the country. Some of them, you know, some friends that we were all kind of, hey, passionate about changing the world together, went into politics and became corrupt. And yeah. How did, like, from the outside, what does that transition look like? Like people that you admired and shared a dream with and then you you see, like, is it kind of, you see them making one, like one iffy choice, another iffy choice, and then like a few years later, they're just unrecognizable or... Yeah, it's very disappointing. You know, some people we see, you know, you don't see until, you know, things, scandals kind of break. And you're like, oh, my oh, God. You see it in the newspaper, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. And then yeah. we can't believe that so-and-so, you know, close friends, I must say, you know, my close circle of friends, you know, still remain you know, quite loyal to the ideal. Oh, <laughs> you, 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 your friends um, aren't, the close friends aren't in the newspaper front page. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I've got some really great friends who are doing amazing things, some of them in their respective spaces, but integrity being, you know, um, but they are people where we would be like, oh my gosh, you see, you know, so-and-so is in the newspaper and there's scandal like this. And does that prove like some people are like, oh, it doesn't matter who goes in, but the, the system will corrupt them? Do you say it like that? I don't think so. I think no. there's a lot of people who've worked and continue to work in public sector and they have been very high levels of integrity, um, even to their personal detriment. I just think that you know, yes, the system, because corruption was at a leadership level, you know, in government and um, what the previous, you know, uh, president and his people did was slowly dismantle things and controls that were in place, you know, to keep guard, you know, like your revenue services and, you know, other... um, Those uh, President Zuma... President Zuma, yes. So, which then made it easy for people who have weak um, sets of, you know, values to take advantage of the system. And then you had people who were trying to, a culture, I think, of uh, instant gratification, you know, of trying to show off that, you know, I've made it, look at me, you know, I wear whatever, I drive whatever, I live wherever you had those people. But for me, it boils down to your values, you mm-hmm. know, um, and your value system, you know, that's what makes you, you know, corruptible. Because I always say that if you're in an environment that goes against your values, nothing's stopping you from actually leaving that environment. Yeah, especially if you if you're if you're better off yeah, and you're doing you if you're doing if you're doing well, but it sounds yeah. like you would be talking about people that that could have left. Um, yeah. yeah, and also if you feel, yeah. but instead people kind of use that, you know, to. Mm. So is um, it that there were kind of two sides that dream, that dream you were to, you were talking about about sort of like that new space and transformation of South Africa. One is the more sort of that 
that values and mission that you were talking about. And then the other is like, oh, we get more stuff and we get richer and and X, Y, and Z. And like, you might just remember that part of the story. (laughs) And then, and then that, that, that kind of corruption speeds up the, like, can like really accelerate the access to that. Yeah, Um, definitely. Even politicians, I mean, they were corrupted, some of them by, you know, uh, large corporations and organizations, you know, for exactly that, you know, for getting rich, being seen to be powerful and, you know, successful. And, you know, people buckle under that that pressure also of, okay, so you've gone to school, you're educated, you're working, and let's see what you're driving. You know, are you living that Mm -hmm. life? You know, so people experience a lot of that pressure um, and some people do choose to do the wrong things in order to kind of fulfill that. So even the same things, I mean, some of the scandals, even of politicians were things like, oh, so-and-so was given a Louis Vuitton bag. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like That's because... Yeah, so therefore you choose to be corrupt for a handbag. Yeah. But I saw some good scandals like people like having caches of cash in their in their private houses and whatnot. <laughs> like I mean, it's all, I mean there's there's some good there's the some cow. good yeah, some good good scandals. Um this yeah. is really interesting. I think Nomza Dodi and I were sort of talking about on our ambition for the podcast are like capturing like people in transitions and places in transitions. I think this conversation has kind of really, really it's brought perfect. that out. And I thank yeah. you for sharing that that no, moment, that that kind of your your own life and that that intersection with South Africa's changes. Um, we definitely want you back before then. But if we got you on again in twenty years, like what would you be? <laughs> Like, what are your kind of, what are your idealistic hopes? Or like your, if if you still have idealistic hopes, like what would you, um, what do you kind of see for the next 20? Yeah, I think I see more, you know, um, I think there's definitely a almost grounding, especially as South Africans, of our identity, which is important. Um, I think, you know, I I do hope that the country is a lot more settled. And um, I do hope that we've got, you know, a different breed of leaders who are not interested in getting, you know, the latest uh, Mercedes-Benz from a French company who wants an arms deal type of, you know, scenario but who are really, truly interested in progressing, you know, the country and developing the country. I think also, for me, I look at South Africa as broader than just our own country, but Africa in, you know, in totality, you know, um, nationalism has limits, in my opinion, you know, and I definitely wouldn't want us to be a strong national national states you know i don't think that would help anyone but i think it would be great if we are seeing ourselves which is not fully currently the the the, the reality 
as part of the African community and playing our part in a broader African community um, and really, you know, playing that role. And therefore, as a result, other communities also growing alongside. So, And me, how does, how does NOMSA and the NOMSA story fit into South Africa and the African yeah. community story? So mine, you know, next kind of dreams are a lot more, you know, um, less bold, small, you know. Um, but one of the things that I would love to do is really starting to create, and I'm starting to work with, you know, small businesses, um, you know, and kind of promote kind of cross-border interactions, you know, and saying that, look, you know, you could be interacting with don't think of South Africa as just the only market or don't think of you know um Kenya as your only market but what if we really started creating a space where we could network and also trade with each other as individuals not only as corporate I'm very passionate about learning which is what I'm doing but also hopefully you know us being able to really starting to share, um, you know, African history. You know, our history starts in 1652. Dr- the Dromedaris landed in Cape Town. Like, that can't possibly be true. Um, you know, um, we have a history, you know, that is very rich uh, that goes be- before that. And I think it's important for us as a people you know, to know that because I remember growing up thinking, you know, I ha- always had this at the back of my mind that there was something wrong with us. You know, there was just something that's not right. Everyone has a history they can be proud of. We are just these sorry stories, you know, mm-hmm. um, how come? And with time and you start learning and start talking to people and, the internet has done wonders in terms of people being able to share, you know, the stories of their family, their oral history. You go back to your own family's oral history and you're like, hang on a second. We were a lot more than that, you know. And I think it does do a lot, you know, for people in terms of just their own sense of self. And I wish that for South Africa, you know, mm. to I think it will get us to a point where we are a lot more settled, but we're comfortable with who we are, but also comfortable with being part of other people and other people's lives and working together. Um, You know, I think there's something in South Africa for everyone. Um, You know, we look at our GDP on its own. I always say divided by the number of people. I think everyone would be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know it's simplistic and it doesn't make sense, but, you know, in a simplistic way, it shows that there's something in it. There's something for everyone. Mm. Well, gorgeous, um, gorgeous words. Daisy, do you have anything else or it'd be, um, Nomsa, we, we talked about, we talked about, a lot. We're really, we're really grateful for you kind of sharing, sharing your energy, energy and vision. Um, is it, are there any, you, you've kind of given a sort of quite an inspiring rallying cry, um, already, but if there's any other kind of reflections 
you had on the conversation or anything that sort of it 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 brought up that you'd like to reflect on to help us close up? No, I think it's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it <laughs> a bit. Um, and yeah, I've enjoyed that. It, it took the shape that it did. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. Um, you know, I know you sent a list, but it's, it wasn't, you know, anything that I had prepped or even thought about, you know, at the back of my mind, but it ended up being a good conversation. You guys got me talking about things that I like talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm ready to vote for you whenever you're running for an office. <laughs> <at the end. laughs> that's, what, that's what another friend of mine yeah. who uh, lives in Australia says. She said, she said, why don't you run for government? Said, oh, no. I think I'm too direct for politics, you know? <laughs> Politi- politics and people prefer people who kind of polish things up a bit. Um, but you're a little bit political as well. I think you've got a little bit of, you can spin things very nicely and say, Say the bad thing very positively, like no, you've got that. True. You've got that. I, I would vote for you. I think having foreign citizens voting for you is probably in the corruption camp. But I mean, that's a more benign. That's a more benign corruption. So that's 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 okay. Let us know. Let us know how we vote in. Yeah, you've got you've got computer programs to to vote in other countries' elections, do you, do you or how do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can work on it, yes. <laughs> hey, there was, uh, what's this, uh, uh, what's the UK reputation PR agency that had all these bots running? Oh, Cambridge and... Analytica or something, was oh, it? Oh, yeah, Cambridge no, 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 yeah, it was Cambridge, and um, in one country, actually here in Africa, they had some stuff running and, you know, rigging the votes process. You know, we've got countries in Africa where president gets nearly 100% vote. Yeah. Yeah, well, we hope we hope you get a similar <laughs> result. And we, and we, we certainly will if Dodie's doing the IT for the election. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, so yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. this is so cool, Daddy. We need to connect more. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, wow, this is fantastic. Thanks to Nomza for sharing her South Africa with us. I co-hosted this with Dodi. We spoke on 13th of January 2023. Production and sound designs by Tarek. Creative advice from Raf. You can find the show on cairocalling.substack.com. And thank you for being with us on this journey. Send us a voicemail to let us know what you thought. See you on the next one.